Welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast, a place to listen and learn about the diagnosis and treatment of chronic headache and migraine pain, because information can be the best medicine. Hi, and welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast. I uh, am your host, Dr. Adam Lowenstein, and uh, we have a fantastic repeat guest uh, today, Dr. Uh, Hussein Ansari, who is the head of the Headache Clinic at uh, University of California, San Diego. And uh, this is our second um, in hopefully a series with Dr. Ansari, but uh, we can you can refer to our, our first podcast with him for his outstandingly extensive um, uh, degrees and, uh, and education. And actually, uh, so let me say uh, again, Dr. Ansari, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Dr. Lawrence, and thank you for inviting me again. And uh, hopefully, this series of podcasts uh, we can continue because I believe it's very important for education of the patient uh, with headache and particularly migraine. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, we've got been getting a lot of um, a lot of great feedback, and actually, your uh, previous podcast is uh, so far the most listened to uh, one that uh, we've had, the most downloaded. Uh, so. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, I just wanted to say, which um, we haven't talked about, but you know, I'm just looking online, uh, your reviews are outstanding. It's pretty rare. I hear because when people come to me for migraine surgery, they're usually complaining about their, their uh, previous care. But um, just so many people, uh, fabulous doctor and uh, very professional, and he listens to all of my concerns. And I think that uh, I guess if, if everybody was uh, as good a physician as uh, you seem to be reviewed as, um, I think we'd, we'd have a lot better situation with migraines in general. <laughs> Thank you very much. And actually, it's interesting you're telling because I never actually look at my reviews online at, at all <laughs> because I, I don't want to give, you know, that's kind of give me bias or also when you see some, you know, one of 100 patients is not happy, they brought something, and uh, I don't want to even look at my heart. Right, no, I hear you. It, it hurts. It's nice to see the good stuff. It, it hurts when yeah, it's really uh, we hurts. You very know, you, rarely you, see the bad stuff. You know that you're really working hard to help the yeah. patient, and one patient that, you know, okay. Right. So that's why. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm glad but that here. Yes. I'm, I'm glad, but I'm glad <laughs> both, of, both of us seem to have a very high uh, uh, general... Uh, level of uh, of reviews, uh, so that that's great. But so what we're going to talk about today uh, is medications, right? Yes, yes. We decide to talk about the medication because that's one of the <clears throat> biggest questions that we always ask. And let's start with this. When I go to you know different conferences, meeting or lectures here and there, one thing that they always they ask me, oh, what is your uh, to go medication for migraine? What do you yeah. use for? So this question doesn't have answer because we don't have any to-go medication for migraine. Each patient with headache and migraine is different. And again, I'm emphasizing here the difference between headache and migraine. And today we are talking just about the migraine. And uh, so we know the migraine could be both overdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. That is very important to know. Uh, but again, that's totally different uh, uh, podcast that we can do yeah. at least one hour to kind of <laughs> go over. But let's uh, assume that patient has diagnosis of what we call migraine. 
So one thing that we need to do before we start somebody on medication for migraine, to make sure patients headache and migraine is a pure migraine. There is no other co big comorbidity that we need to fix or address before jump to the medication. Uh, one of the main reasons that the medication treatment fail in the migraine because of probably lack of the time for most of the physician when the uh, physician see the patient with migraine, they prescribe medication right away without looking at the entire picture. So that is very important. So lifestyle, lifestyle change and patients, basically other comorbidities, it play important role in terms of uh, considering the, what we need to know and what even what medication we need to prescribe. Because sometimes when we prescribe medication for migraine, we basically use side effect of the medication as a benefit for that particular patient. And... Uh, Say, for example, patients with migraine also had anxiety and depression, which is, we know anxiety, depression is big comorbidity with migraine. About 60 to 70% of the patient with migraine also have comorbid anxiety and or depression. So for wow. that particular patient, so it's very reasonable to use one of those antidepressants, which FDA approved for migraine to kill two birds with one stone, right? That is so. Can I just ask? I have mm -hmm. two questions, real quick. Do you, in, it, um, this may not this may be out of our both of our purviews, but uh, do you think that the what comes first, the chicken or the egg? The the depression predates the migraines, or people become anxious and depressed because they have pain? Uh, so I think both, because actually there is a lot of study done. Again, this is whole <laughs> separate podcast. Yeah, 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 but yeah. One thing is very obvious, and you, I mean everybody can tell common sense. If you have a lot of headache, you will be depressed, right? Right. If you have sure. headache and you cannot go and do your daily activity or your hobby or something, you will be sad. And then that negative cycle continues. That is for sure. But also it has been shown that the patient had history or basically the predisposition for depression and anxiety used to get more migraine. Interesting. Okay. Both is happening. But and then it's very, very, very common comorbidity. And then I, I just want to get to something that uh, you may be getting to eventually, but it, 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 until recently, um, there weren't really any medications for migraines, and the point of the, the medications that were used were that we found that the medications also helped migraines despite what they were supposed to originally before and and that's why they were used is that is that a yes, fair statement exactly. we didn't have and we were going to talk about that when we are talking about uh, different classes of the migraine preventive treatment which Got is it. available okay. we will talk about that okay but so again, i'm my, sorry to interrupt you then keep on going sure yeah my <laughs> emphasis is in lifestyle so make sure patient had uh, or patient does not have any important factor in his or her lifestyle that can trigger the migraine uh, for example, uh, if you have a patient with migraine, uh, who 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 is he or she drinking a lot of diet coke or two or three diet coke a, a day? We know any artificial sweetener is the biggest enemy for migraine. So if the patient wow. keep drinking that diet, whatever coke, diet tea, or diet uh, artificial stuff, so that's it. That patient basically putting the fuel <laughs> flaring the migraine. So no matter what medication you give the chance that that patient response is low. So you need to make sure what is the patient's diet, 
what he or he she eats. So all of this is important factor, as important as medication, if it's not less. Interesting. Okay. And uh, that's why actually some of uh, our really really good colleague in the headache medicine, all they focus is in uh, lifestyle, diet, and those parts. So we have some headache doctor that they're basically specialty or subspecialty is in this part. And it's very, very important. A patient with migraine should have regular, for example, exercise. We recommend the patient with migraine do 30 to 60 minutes of moderate intensity exercise five times a week. That is treatment. That is as important as taking the medication. Interesting. So you okay. cannot basically separate this uh, lifestyle and activity from medication. Uh, but again, talking about the activity and what is good, what is bad, that's another. <laughs> yeah, another right, right, so, sure. <laughs> we got a lot know. of podcasts to do. You yeah, know, so. I think, I think so. All right. Now let's go back to uh, our treatment of the migraine. So now we are considering that we have the patient with migraine, a pure migraine. You address all of the lifestyle, you know all of the potential trigger, and you want to give the medication. So medication for migraine, we divide to two classes. One is called abortive or acute medication, so which I'm going to call abortive from now on. And the second is a preventive or prophylactic medication, which I'm going to call uh, preventive in this podcast. Okay. So we have abortive versus preventive. What does that mean? Abortive treatment is the medication that the patient needs to take when he or she is going to get the migraine headache. Sooner you take is better. That is totally different than other pain uh, situation. For example, then when you have the foot pain, knee pain, and you, they give you pain medication, uh, they tell don't take until your pain level up to four or five. Sure. In the headache is exactly opposite. You take sooner. As soon as you feel migraine coming, you take it. So basically and in the aura phase, if... If, uh, if they have aura, which yeah. is the, most of the patient does not have aura. But as soon as they feel headache is coming, when the level of headache is one or two, you take your headache medication. And that's why probably we don't call headache head pain. We call headache. Everywhere, everywhere else we call it uh, pain, but in the head we call headache. And that's why we do not use pain medication for headache, or we do not like to use pain medication for headache. Yeah. We, used to, we would like to use headache medication for migraine headache. So abortive treatment is need for all of the migraine patient. Any patient with migraine needs to have abortive treatment, period. Okay. Uh, but preventive treatment or prophylactic, which is the daily medication, is for some percentage of the patients. And who is that percentage? The people who get more than certain number of the headache per month. The guideline that we have, it says if patient with migraine get more than five attack per month, which means more than one per week, that patient needs to be on preventive treatment. We also use some other tools when we decide about the preventive. Uh, there is a lot of uh, headache uh, and migraine questionnaire, which is kind of a measurement tool. One of them is called MIDAS, one of them called HIT6. So that's also important to decide if patient needs to be on preventive. If the score is higher, that means 
headache affect patient's life more and that patient needs preventive. But general concept, more than one per week, you need preventive treatment. So okay. that means if patient with migraine using their abortive treatment more than one time per week, that patient needs to be on preventive treatment. And uh, so let's go back to the abortive treatment. Abortive treatment for migraine could be some simple analgesics, right? Tylenol, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, naproxen, diclofenac. These are the medication, the simple analgesics. Some of them are prescription like diclofenac. Some of them is over the counter like ibuprofen. And uh, if patient uh, migraine is not frequent enough and response to these simple analgesics, that's fine. You take, you have the patient taking three days per month of ibuprofen or Tylenol and that works. That's fine. That's fine. But if the patient taking more than one per week, two, then three, that patient needs to be, first of all, given migraine as needed or abortive treatment, plus needs to talk about the preventive treatment. And that's why these over-the-counter medications sometimes become a little uh, basically confusing because patient cannot count, of course, how many they take per week uh, mm -hmm. or per month. And that causes a little issue. And some of the over-the-counter medication is uh, very easy to cause what we call the rebound headache. And uh, those are combined analgesics like Excedrin. Excedrin uh, is the medication that I personally do not use my patient take it because uh, they, they don't have any count how much they are taking and it's very easy to overuse Excedrin without even knowing that. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that on our last podcast as well. Yes, exactly. So, so that is uh, very, very uh, important to make sure if the patient taking over the counter have limitation. So we have the simple analgesic. But when it comes to the prescription, the gold standard treatment for migraine, uh, abortive, is tripton medication. So the sumatriptan, which is the oldest tripton, and we have since 1991 uh, in the market. And after that, there is a six other tripton uh, came to the market. Rizotriptan, Maxalt, for example, is the common one. And uh, Elitriptan, Relpax, Zolmitriptan, Zomig, and uh, Neratriptan, Amerge, and Forovatriptan, which is Frova. These are the other tripton that we have in the market and currently FDA approved for migraine. And, and uh, Imitrex is the Sumatriptan, Imitrex right? is Sumatriptan, yes. Yeah, okay. It's the oldest one, basically. So, and uh, some of the, mo all of the tripton come in the oral form, and some of them had in injectable and also nasal spray form, and some of them also have the melting tablet, like Maxalt come in the mixer, melting tablet form. So these are gold standard treatment for migraine abortive. And uh, in basically when we teach the resident and lecture say all migraine patients should have tripton as okay. their treatment uh, plan. So rather than having over the counter or anything, use tripton. When you're having migraine, rather than take with pain pill like um, ibuprofen, take migraine pill, which is Imitrix or uh, Maxalt or one of these tripton medications. So that's important that all migraine patients ask their physician to get the prescription for tripton. Yes, there is 
small percentage that cannot take tryptan and that's contraindicated and that's in the patient who had uh, cardiac disease like coronary artery not the valve disease not the rhythm problem no just uh, coronary artery disease or the patient okay. who had stroke which fortunately this is very minority of a minority of our patient of most of the migraine patient are in younger side and uh, usually do not have heart attack or stroke yeah. so <clears throat> tripton in all of the migraine patient unless there is a clear contra indication so can i just ask a, a, a couple quick questions what sure. so we know that we're treating migraines basically with side effects of medications that are originally um brought to market for other things what other things were triptans used for before we realized that they were helpful for some migraine patients uh, yeah, no, tripton actually wasn't. Tripton made for migraine. Tripton is oh, tripton were made for migraines. Purely for migraine. Those are, we were talking, those are preventive treatment that made for something else, and we are going to talk about that. For migraine treatment, ah. tripton, basically that's why we have two revolutions in migraine uh, world. One is in 90s, and one is last year with the CGRP. So we had abortive treatment, particularly for migraine, but we didn't have. Uh, preventive. preventive treatment, uh, particularly for migraine. Got it. Okay. And then my other question is, I have a patient uh, who I fixed the other day and I, I operated on, um, but prior to coming to me, they had been told that they could only take uh, their triptan one time a week. And they, um, and this this was from a, um, a, a rather prominent neurologist in, in Denver, and she had said that um, you, should, you can only take the triptan one time a week, and so one of their biggest complaints was you had to pick and choose which migraine that week they wanted to treat with triptan. So um, it, can you overuse triptan? So what, what are the risks uh, yes. with that? Actually, that's my, my next uh, basically uh, discussion about the, how much of the abortive treatment we can take. Uh, since you brought it, let's go to uh, that part. So uh, abortive treatment or as needed treatment, as you can take by the name, those are as needed. You cannot take all the time. And because another thing, when, when I see the patient and I'm giving the example of Excedrin, a gay patient come and say, oh, I'm taking Excedrin for uh, daily for to prevent. No, Excedrin is not preventive. That is abortive as needed. We cannot take any abortive treatment more than certain days per month. And that certain days per month is different for each class of the medication. The safest class in terms of not causing rebound headache or medication overuse headache is non-steroidal medication, NSAID, ibuprofen and naproxen class. There's okay. one medication in that class called the diclofenac potassium. Diclofenac come in two different salts, sodium and potassium. Diclofenac potassium is actually has the highest evidence in between that class of the medication, and that's why the powder form of the diclofenac potassium called Cambia, which is a brand name, is FDA approved for migraine. Basically, it is the only FDA approved non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug which approved for migraine. So these class of medication up to 15 or even some of 
uh, other our colleague, and including me, I think up to 20 days per month, it's safe to take NSAID for migraine. Then, uh, in terms of the abortive treatment, uh, triptans, triptan, it's safe up to 10 days per month. So a little over two per week. So one per week is uh, not correct. So one, okay. uh, yeah. Two, uh, but 10 days per month, up to 10 days per month, Triptan won't cause a rebound headache. And that's that, the concern is is rebound. It's yes. not, because I've read things about uh, Triptans in particular that uh, there's some, there was some concern about whether or not they can cause stroke or uh, other secondary effects. No, no, stroke and the heart attack, all, uh, that's why contrary, if the patient have a stroke heart attack, they cannot use uh, Tripton, but the chance that these are causes stroke and heart attack is not usually concerned in the somebody who's healthy doesn't have cardiovascular disease or uh, doesn't have any uh, heart problem or plaque atherosclerosis disease or something which most Got of it. our patients do not that's okay. why uh, it's and one thing that we know is Tripton is uh, very very under used or underutilized in United States so in one of the literature that I was reading, about 25-30% of the patient with uh, migraine, they are prescribing uh, tripton, while over 95% should have tripton. So we have a big gap, and that's because of all of these information that probably uh, online available, and that's yeah. why probably. But tripton is gold standard, as I mentioned. Uh, unless there is a clear contraindication, needs to be given for all of the migraine patients. Okay. And uh, most of the patients that at least I see, they need both. They need both NSAID and Tripton. Why? Because they have more than 15 or 20 days per month. So if they are going to take 10 days per month of Tripton, what are they going to do uh, rest of the month, right? That's why they need uh, more than just Tripton. And for abortive, of the tri abortive treatment for migraine, we use two different strategies. One is called stepwise strategy and the other one called attack-specific strategy. What does that mean? So to stepwise strategy, I tell my patient, okay, you're getting headache, take your NSAID, naproxen or diclofenac or Cambia, one of these NSAIDs I'm giving, at the onset of the headache, and wait two hours. In two hours, in 40-50% of the time, if you take early, your headache goes away and you don't need anything. And if that didn't go away, then you can get your tripton. That's called stepwise. Okay. And the other one is the attack specific. This is something that patients needs to realize in which attack take which one. So patients say, okay, this I think is, and the patient can tell you after a while when you talk to them, they really realized which attack is really bad, which one is less. And they used for milder one, they use the NSAID. For the more severe one, they use uh, tripton one. So yeah. they basically pick based on the attack which one they need to use. The other thing, the uh, two main thing that we do to increase our abortive uh, basically approach and abortive treatment, one is in some patient we need to give uh, non-oral tripton as a backup. Either uh, self-injection or nasal spray. Why? Because sometimes patients take the tripton and pain doesn't go away and they want to go out, they want to do some activities. So for those patients, we use the 
uh, non-oral tryptan. Or another big indication for non-oral tryptan is for the patient with migraine who has wake-up migraine. So when they wake up with migraine, they are behind in the cycle of the migraine. So when you're awake, we tell, we tell what? Take the medication as soon as you feel, right? But when you sleep, yep. you don't know when is your migraine started. Right, Probably right. start four hours ago, and now you're waking up. You're already in the end of your migraine or in the peak of your migraine cycle. For those patients, we use non-oral tryptan, and that's why a lot of my patients, I prescribe non-oral, and that's as a rescue. So that's a medication. I tell them my patient that's a medication that keeps you away from emergency room. And uh, so we need that in most of the patients. The other strategy that we do for to, in, to maximize the effect of the abortive treatment is using some of these anti-nausea medication, anti-emetic. So we have a lot of nausea medication, uh, and few of them is shown to be very helpful in migraine. One of them is the metoclopramide or Reglan, and the other one is prochlorprazine or Compazine. These two has the highest evidence, and even there is evidence that these two nausea medication directly can decrease and uh, help the migraine pain. And there's a pharmacologic reason for that. We can talk again, that's a separate discussion. But these are directly, but at the least, these medication have two benefits for sure if you use with your abortive treatment, with your NSAID or with your tryptan. Number one, they will decrease the nausea. So a lot the nausea in some of the migraine patients is really bothersome. It's sometimes sure. worse than headache uh, in, in terma. Second one, what these medication does, and specifically metoclopramide, they increase the GI motility. We know that in the migraine, uh, GI system become a little lazy during migraine attack. That means the stomach and the bowel doesn't move as good. And we, when you don't have that peristaltism or that movement of the stomach, the medication does not absorb well. So with using metoclopramide, you're increasing that GI motility and that, that make the medication that you're using with it, like naproxen or naproxen or tripton, absorb faster and works quicker. That okay. is very important, and a lot of people forget this. And, uh, but I always use antiemetic in my patient with migraine to use with their uh, NSAID or to use with their tryptan. And that really, really helps uh, to medication act faster and works better, plus help in nausea. So this is in terms of the uh, treatment, uh, abortive treatment of the tryptan and non-steroidal. There's other class of the migraine abortive treatment also available. One of the classes is ergot, which is one of the oldest uh, migraine treatment. And actually, at some point, uh, they use for prophylactic for a, for a few years. But because of the side effect that they have, uh, they removed it. But for abortive treatment, we still using. And uh, ergot come in two different uh, form. Used to come in two different formulation is a injection and also in the nasal spray. However, since last two years almost, we have the oral ergot, which called Ergomar, and uh, that is also available. So now, now we have the oral, we have nasal spray and injection uh, ergot available. Those are different class of the medication, different than tripton, but one thing is important, patients who are taking ergot, 
they cannot take Tripton within 24 hours of taking ergot. So they have interaction one or with the other. Tripton. Yes, one or other. 24 okay. hour interval between we recommend. So these are the tr basically three main class that uh, we have. We used to have uh, the very, very good migraine medication called Midrin which is the combination of Tylenol with the component called azomateptan is one of the oldest migraine medication even before FDA started regulating and um, unfortunately within the last two months it's not available and I heard the company going to make it another other name and probably bring to market with uh, much higher price mm. but uh, that was very good uh, migraine uh, abortive treatment that we had so these are basically what we have in terms of the abortive treatment. And uh, the other uh, thing about the abortive, there's a two class of the medication that uh, some people use for migraine. And I do never, and I do not think uh, any headache doctor use these two classes. And one of those are opioid medication, yeah. and uh, including tramadol. Uh, because a lot of time I see some physicians say tramadol is the non-opioid or weak opioid or something, which is not. So tramadol is opioid, synthetic opioid. And uh, the other class, which is really, really strange, is the butalbital containing analgesics, fioricet and furinol. And uh, these are uh, medication, the fioricet and furinol is a medication that is never, ever even uh, made for migraine and never, ever approved for migraine, but probably that is the number one uh, prescription for migraine by general physician, PCPs, and uh, uh, that is that is very, very big problem. Actually, in the last article that I read, it said 34% in the USA uh, use butalbital or opioid for migraine. Really? Oh, that's... Yes, that and is... And that so is huge number we can do like four different podcasts uh, just based uh, on discussing discussing uh, opioids but you know on the other hand I, I I've seen so many uh, people who are going to have this uh, visceral response right here and say okay well uh, I've tried the um, triptans and they don't work so uh, so I need my opioids and you know I, I, there's certainly uh, there's a reasonable argument on both sides of of that um, uh, of that uh, situation um, but you know it's unfortunate that not all medications are going to work for all different people but you have to you know look at the the bad with the good which uh, opioids has has a lot of a lot of associated uh, issues with it, but I think, like like I said, you and I should probably have another podcast where we're just talking about uh, uh, opioids, opioids and, and theories. Uh, and that is, the theories yeah. is actually the biggest problem because uh, you you probably don't um, the, the, your audience probably it's good to know that uh, theories is actually it's out of the market in entire world except United States, and huh. which is very strange. So this is the. The strength of yeah, you gotta love our FDA. Cannot do anything, but the, all of the world, Europe, years ago they removed it, um, abandoned from the market because of a lot of issue that uh, happening with Furiset, and I see on my daily uh, practice. But uh, just simple thing about this Furiset and uh, opioid, we are going to talk about the uh, anti-CGRP treatment, right? 
And yeah. if you look at the anti there's a t three anti CGRP, which we are going to talk about that, and there's a clinical trial designed to approved, right? And in all of these three CGRP, the people with migraine who were taking opioid or butalbital excluded from the study. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that means when you're taking that, you're not uh, the, your chance that you respond to any medication is very low. Right. So, so this is opioid. So this is a, uh, basically abortive treatment. Any uh, any question in abortive treatment, and particularly before we jump to the preventive? No, I mean the only thing I, I would say is again, I, I think we we just have to acknowledge that not everything works for everybody, and uh, so um, you know that, that's why there are headache specialists who have. A lot of, as we say, arrows in the quiver. We, you know, to to try a lot of different things, and then at the end of the day, if if medications don't work, then that's when people end up in my office for for uh, surgery. But um, yeah, I hope I hope I hope all of these uh, issues, all, all of what we're talking about, is very educational for people to understand why you would progress through different things before. Um, before giving up on meds. So anyway, let's, yeah, let's talk about preventatives. Yes. So preventive, again, the indication is if patient with migraine had more than one attack per week or five per month, that patient uh, required to be on preventive. This is the simplest explanation, but again, we have different tool also. So now say patient uh, needs to be on preventive treatment. What is the best preventive treatment? The answer is we do not have the best preventive. So best preventive is based on the patient. Each patient is different. We cannot look two patients uh, exactly the same and use the same medication. Yeah. But in general, we have a three class of what we call the traditional migraine preventive treatment. Number one is antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. Number two is uh, antihypertensive blood pressure medication, and number three is anti-epileptic or seizure medication. So as you can tell, and we briefly discussed at the beginning, none of these three class of medication is made for migraine. But study and trial show that some of those work for migraine. That doesn't mean all of the anti-blood pressure medication will work. It doesn't mean all of the seizure medication, just the one that have study and shown we use those. Although we might use the other one as off-label, but that would be totally off-label and anecdotal. Uh, so that's why we need to stick with the one that has FDA approval and has uh, enough study to have evidence, evidence. A or evidence yeah. B at least uh, for uh, treatment of the migraine. In terms of the first class, uh, which is antidepressant medication, the oldest one that we use is amitriptyline or Elavil is the brand name. It's one of the uh, good, uh, basically, antidepressant. And we use with lower dose. One thing also that is important, the dose that we use for migraine is way lower than the dose that we used to use for depression. For example, in uh, amitriptyline, we use something between 25 to 50. So there is a medication which is cousin of the amitriptyline called nortriptyline or Pamelor. That's another uh, medication from the exact same class and there is medication called protriptyline or vivactyl from that class so there's a three medication in that class but amitriptyline has the highest evidence then we have the newer antidepressant and the one that had higher evidence is medication called venlafaxine or effexor 
uh, although there is a again cousin of effexor that called this venlafaxine or pristic i like that a little better in terms of side effect but it's almost impossible to get approval through the insurance and uh, so basically this is two main antidepressants amitriptyline or uh, venlafaxine uh, then we have the antihypertensive or a blood pressure medication uh, beta blocker has the highest evidence in the patient uh, in, in the migraine prevention propranolol, nadolol, timolol and metoprolol this is four beta blocker that uh, we use the most after beta blocker we have calcium blocker like verapamil and also the medication called flonarizine, which we don't have in the US, but Mexico and Canada have, and that's why I have a lot of patients on that medication. And also uh, some of these, uh, what we call angiotensin-related uh, uh, antihypertensive medication, like lisinopril or particularly candesartan, has uh, some anecdotal evidence uh, for migraine prevention. So this is through blood pressure, and the third class is the seizure medication. And the two medication in this class has uh, FDA approval. One is a topiramate or topamax, and the other one is Depakote, uh, which is valproic acid. And uh, one important and very important actually factor in this kind of preventive is using the correct dose or target dose. Okay. So if somebody, I, I see this all the time, patient come and say, oh, I tried all of this. When, when you look at the record, it say, okay, yeah, patient tried amitriptyline 10 milligram. So I'm not expecting mm -hmm. that anybody in 10 milligram amitriptyline response. Or patient go, oh, I tried it. And look, okay, I saw 20 milligram of propranolol. So this is nothing. It's basically, you didn't take anything. Yeah. But that's happened a lot. And I understand why, because titration of this medication is not easy. So when you put somebody on propranolol and you want to go to the target dose, which is minimum 80 milligram, we use between 80 to 120 milligram of propranolol. If you start somebody in 80 milligram of propranolol, that patient will take one or two dose and they'll stop and done because of side effect. You need yeah. to titrate this medication every week. And that's not easy, again, with the busy practice that all of the physician has, who is going to see the patient every week or every two weeks to titrate the medication. Sure. So that's very difficult. Or the same thing with Topamax. Topamax target dose is 100 milligram. But if you give somebody 100 milligram Topamax today, you won't see that patient tomorrow. Isn't probably with a horrible side effect. Because, yeah. So that is the problem. The titration is the biggest problem. Slow titration, then you need to give time to the patient uh, uh, to basically... Uh, become effective. The other important thing about the preventive treatment, because these are daily medication, of course, they will have side effect, right? You're taking daily medication, and each daily medication might have side effect. And some of them has more, some of them less. But also, some patients might develop side effect to other medication, but not to the uh, medication X, but not to the Y, and uh, vice versa. So Even within think, the same class. Yes, exactly. Right. So that is very important to discuss with the patient about the side effect and also look at the patient's other comorbidities. For example, uh, if patient have asthma, bad asthma, so you, we cannot use propranolol. You are going to give the patient asthma attack. If patient have the kidney stone or history of kidney stone, if you give Topamax, patient will have another kidney stone. I saw the patient just two, two months ago 
this poor guy had nine surgery for kidney stone and he was in Topamax for uh, months. Uh, and because of Topamax kidney stone and the nine time lithotripsy and this is horrible. I mean, wow, yeah. So you need, to, you need to ask all of these and that's not easy. Or if the patient is really overweight or obese using amitriptyline, it's not a good idea because you are going to give more weight gain. And the same thing with Depakote, cause weight gain and also hair loss. That's why it's not even possible in most of my patients. So most of my patients is female between 20 to 40. And the last thing that I want to tell my patient that I'm going to give a medication that make you fat and bald. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so yeah, no way right. can you lose that. Uh, so uh, that is that side effect is is important. So you need to when <clears throat> people prescribe the, uh, preventive, they need to know the side effect very well. Otherwise, that will be a problem, and patient the treatment won't be successful. And this is probably the main reason that medical treatment has not been as good for migraine because of the side effect. And there can be side effects as well for triptans, uh, yes. correct? I mean, a yes. lot but of people... that's abortive. You, the, the thing, right. abortive, but I mean, I... even if side effect, that's at the minute, done. But preventive is daily. You have to take every day. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. side effect is not going to anywhere. So but I've had people who told me that triptans, they didn't like triptans because it wiped them out. And, you know, it makes them really, really yeah, tired. But, and so, but even side effect know. of the triptan, which uh, happened 10 to 15% of the patient called triptan sensation... Uh, again, we can talk about that. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That doesn't yeah. mean that happened with all of the tripton. If the patient right. have tripton sensation, which is uh, feeling of the chest pain or throat swelling, or those, those are the side effects that the patient get. With sumatripton or imitrex, we still can use other tripton. Some of mm. the tripton we call it gentle tripton, so we use those. But again, that's separate. <laughs> right. uh, lecture that we can give but yeah, yeah. yeah we shouldn't give up on the tripton that easy that uh, tripton is, is really really good medication for migraine so this is three class of the preventive then we have uh, uh, botox which of course is one of the old now is one of the oldest uh, um, technique or oldest treatment that we have for migraine for last 10 15 years even we are using it one thing about the Botox that people need to know, it's only approved for chronic migraine. Chronic migraine means patient has 15 or more headache per month. Yeah. And so the patient we, who are not chronic, Botox is not even FDA approved, although uh, a lot of our colleagues might use it, but it's basically off-label and it's not, not FDA labeled to use it. And that is very good uh, treatment that we have. We still use it. And uh, I, have, I don't remember the day that I do not have Botox uh, injection in my office. So basically, it's every day. Uh, and uh, we use with a different technique. Uh, I use a little different than what is uh, uh, most of the neurologist does because I actually learned the Botox from non-neurologists when I started it. Right. And uh, so, but that is very, very uh, good treatment that we have. And here again, another, uh, you can do a whole other podcast on, on that. Um, I, I've, I cover that a lot on my website, headachesurgery.com. But we, um, yeah, it, it's one of the issues that I have um, is that I see patients who've had Botox and uh, they, you know, it, it didn't work. And people who come in with, uh, you know, inflammation, occipital problems, and uh, they had the, what is it, 33 injections at the normal? 31. 31 injections from, from the FDA. 
um, seems like a honestly a, a waste of a lot of Botox in, in parts of the head that are, are, are not affected. Um, but yeah, we can have, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, have another boat, another, uh, exactly. episode. I mean, yeah. Overuse is, uh, I agree. Actually, I was in, uh, there was a meeting called toxin meeting, which is very good meeting actually. That mean uh, different specialty, all of the specialty that, that I use Botox, they come to that meeting and I attended that meeting and I had the actually lecture that was in Spain, 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're talking, and actually one of the <coughs> speaker was the ear, nose, throat physician, and uh, was talking about the Botox. And uh, he, during his presentation, he actually make a joke that neurologists overuse the Botox. And uh, <laughs> I agree, we, we're overusing. Yeah. We really don't need that many injection. But yeah. again, this is against. But anyway, <laughs> that's a, yet another podcast to uh, yeah listen for on, uh, on 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 future episodes. But yes. okay, so let's let's move on. Move on. Okay, so then in terms of the newer abor- uh, preventive treatment, which really really changed the way that we practice since last year, is this new anti CGRP. Uh, so just. Quick uh, description about what is CGRP. CGRP is the neurotransmitter, basically chemical in the brain, calcitonin gene-related peptide. That is the chemical in the brain that causes inflammation. And inflammation in the brain, which is a neuroinflammation, is the key component of creating the headache. So now when we talk about the migraine, we call migraine is the neuroinflammatory disease. And the CGRP is a key player in this neuroinflammatory. So that is in terms of the what is CGRP. And now what happened if we decrease the CGRP? Because the studies show that in the patient with migraine, CGRP level increase. So if you can decrease the level of CGRP, it will be helpful for migraine. This was the theory. Although it wasn't this easy, now it's very easy, it seems very easy, but if you look at the discovery of CGRP, CGRP actually discovered back in 1982 here in University of California, San Diego, the way that I'm working, by mm-hmm. two pharmacy uh, PhD doctorate, uh, basically physician, they discovered it at 1982. Then they didn't know what exactly it does until 90 which uh, Dr. Edvinson, the current president of International Headache Society, he, for the first time, explained that CGRP is a player in migraine. And then 91, when Dr. Godsby continued that discussion, and they confirmed, yes, CGRP. So 1991, we know that the CGRP is a key player, or at least one of the key players for migraine. But we didn't have anything until 2018. So it takes 28 years until we know what wow. it is, until the medication that works on that. So it, that means a lot of work done uh, until that. So what, now we have a three medication which basically works in the CGRP and antagonize the CGRP. That's called anti-CGRP monoclonal antibody. These are either humanized or fully human monoclonal antibody. First one made by Amgen and launched by Amgen Novartis back in May of 2018. That's called Amovic. There is actually TV commercials. Some of your audience have, might see that. Mm. Then there is a two other one may come within a week from each other in September of 2018. 
One of them is a Jolie by Teva Pharmaceutical and the other one is Emigality by Eli Lilly Pharmaceutical. And now we have three available. There is not much difference. The big difference is between Amovig and the other two. Amovig basically block the receptor of CGRP. So any chemical in the brain needs some receptor go and click and start working. So what Amovig does is block the uh, basically receptor and the other two Ajovi and Mgality they are blocking the uh, the molecule itself they directly block the CGRP and uh, the beauty of this uh, class of the medication is once a month rather than uh, every day and actually one of them Ajovi you can do quarterly rather than every once a month three injection every three months okay. but all three uh, standard uh, treatment is one every month. Sub-Q injection, they come with the auto-injector or uh, pre-filled syringe. is very easy to use. And uh, they do not even go through the liver to metabolize through the liver. That means there is no interaction with the other medication that patient might take. And doesn't do anything with the patient's other underlying disease. If you have asthma, if a kidney stone, they provide whatever you have, there's no problem because they won't have any problem with any of other system because that's go sub Q to the blood and then uh, through the blood metabolized to the system or phagocytosis is basically what they remove the molecule from the uh, body. So this is uh, the the new tree class that we have and kind of changed the stigma of the migraine change the practice because now we have something that specifically made for migraine and as i mentioned the other three classes or four classes even botox which we're using is not made for migraine botox was basically uh, your drug for a while a plastic surgeon right yeah and it was done for aesthetics and <laughs> exactly but now we, we people use it in in muscle spasms all for over the body uh, using and hyperhidrosis um, and everything right yeah so basically that is uh, so these are the first ever migraine preventive treatment any question so, in cgrp uh-huh. <laughs> that's that's a that's a trick question unto itself. I'm sure we could talk about CGRP also for 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 quite some time. I guess the you know, the my experience is skewed because the people that I see are the people who fail everything else, right? So you you try this medication, that medication, and none of them work, or the side effects don't work uh, for them, or, or for for multitude of reasons, and then they end up in my office for nerve decompression surgery. Um, and so, is there a? I mean, can you briefly discuss why X, Y, or Z would not work for a given patient, or are we still trying to figure that out? If you're talking Does about the traditional treatment, or well, I mean, uh, you know, I guess you can since there are no. Except for the CGRP blockers, the preventatives have, have never been specific for, for migraines. And so you could have certainly people who just don't tolerate uh, the low heart rate that associated with the beta blocker or mm -hmm. the um, uh, exhaustion that's associated with, um, with antidepressants. Um, and, uh, and certainly there are people who I've had that have tried triptans and they say they don't work for them. 
Um, and uh, there are certainly lots of reasons Botox uh, could not work. And, and primarily, again, I think a lot of people who don't necessarily know how to properly inject Botox for migraines um, uh, are, are part of the issue because I've, I've seen a lot of people who just uh, are getting injections in, in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's CRGP, uh, CGRP um, uh, drugs that I, I think from what I see work for some people but don't don't seem to work for others. So um, I guess the would I be correct in saying that you progress through these different types of medications um, as needed and you know if, if 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 one works that's great if doesn't one doesn't work then you, you move on to the next one and then at some point, if medications don't work, then then you move on to other modalities? Yes, exactly. So in terms of the traditional treatment, why it failed, one simple, one of the main reason is because, as we discussed, these are not made for migraine. So you don't expect that something that's not made for that condition helps for all of the patients, right? Yes. Second of all, the, the, the side effects. So a lot of people do not tolerate the side effect in the those that they need to be that is probably even more important than that if patient if all of the patient can tolerate the traditional preventive with the target dose we certainly will have higher side effect higher uh, response rate but again the side effect is the problem in terms of the cgrp also we are not expecting to be 100 percent because Although we know CGRP is a key player in the neurogenic inflammation, but it is not the only player. So we have other neurotransmitters that play a role. So we have the different type of the migraine. Migraine is the genetic disorder we discussed in our first podcast, I believe. Right. Migraine is the complex genetic neurological disorder. That, that, that means not all of the patients have the similar gene. Yes, in a majority of the patients, CGRP seems to be the key player. And that's why the response rate is really, really high if you use in the correct patient. So I, I really see very few failure. And actually, the people that fail the CGRP and send it to me, when you go and dig in, they have some other reason. For example, they are still taking opioids. So if you take opioid, CGRP is not going to be effective. And there's a pharmacologic reason for that because opioid increased the CGRP. So you're increasing CGRP with opioid and you're trying to give anti-CGRP. So you're wasting sure. your time. Okay, interesting. And, uh, so that is the thing. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely won't be 100%. And uh, again, f- uh, we don't have any cure uh, for any disease that have genetic basis, right? We cannot cure the diabetes. You cannot cure the hypertension. <laughs> mm. The migraine is like that. This is that some gene is going on and we just can manage it better. And uh, yeah, but if there is traditional treatment and more recently CGRP fail, there's a lot of other options. We use a lot of procedure beside Botox for the migraine even for many years. And one of those procedures are uh, nerve block. And uh, the nerve block is the lidocaine injection in the different nerve uh, that we do. 
and uh, that's very helpful. I have a patient that come every two weeks for nerve block uh, for last three years mm-hmm. because that patient had this single trigger point and uh, she doesn't want to take daily medication and that works. So if that's the case, we do that. There is other pr- basically modalities like devices. There is a lot of new devices that your audience might hear. These are neurostimulator uh, devices that is in the market. And there's a three main neurostimulator. Is, one is for supraorbital nerve, which called cephaly device. One of them is for the occipital, which called spring TMS device. And one of them for vagus nerve that called gamma core. These are the three devices uh, that uh, available and approved for migraine treatment. Uh, in my experience, those are not very effective. Uh, or at least not very effective in the patient who failed a lot of other medication. Yeah, if you use in the first-hand patient, it probably will be helpful, but in first-hand patient, any other treatment will be helpful. And And actually, we've had a a pain specialist on the podcast, uh, and he as well, and he's the kind of guy that would actually be putting those in, and he he feels exactly the same way. Oh, yeah, uh, that's different. The pain specialist, actually, the one that you did, these are that I'm, I'm talking, these are external stimulator they basically oh external uh, yeah okay. this is device okay. and patient does itself the other one that is occipital mm-hmm. stimulator they place lead that is actually there's a huge study done in mayo clinic years ago and it showed that failed and it's never approved for migraine and in my experience also the side effect and complication is way higher than uh, basically possible or potential benefit that's why that's something that i do not recommend so between that placement of the occipital and your procedure which is occipital decompression i don't want to be biased but definitely (laughs) occipital decompression has much definitely safer and also in my opinion much more effective i agree since we talk about this uh, uh, procedure which is your niche basically yes the migraine uh, trigger point the activation surgery which invented by dr guyuran back in uh, first time actually explained in 2000 2001 and since then he's doing that that is one of the procedure uh, that we do for some of our patients and the question which patient will be candidate for that and which patient is not this is i think is one podcast that uh, I would like to do because I want to give my opinion in that uh, we don't need we or we don't have to do in the patient that fail everything. That's my opinion. And it's very similar to uh, other procedure that we have in the in the <clears throat> basically neurology world. We have the condition called trigeminal neurology. And that's a condition that caused from compression of the blood vessel in the trigeminal nerve in the brain. And when I see that patient in my clinic, I always recommend surgery first because that's kind of cure. The mm. same thing with the trigger point. Uh, I, I I don't wait until patient fail everything because yeah. you're basically, you want to waste three, four, five years of the patient's life with being miserable and suffering while you know that this procedure, which is relatively safe, right? We'll talk about that hopefully in your podcast and you probably can tell about the complication and side effect. But if you compare this with this occipital stimulator, which uh, the pain doctor does, this is way safer and less side effect. 
So I, I yeah, I, we'll I, we'll have to definitely do. I mean, I, I in, in the next uh, weeks to months, I'll, I'll probably do a podcast myself on on what I do, which is this uh, trigger point and and nerve decompression uh, surgery uh, invented by uh, Dr. Garan, who is a uh, friend of both of ours and uh, somebody that we both uh, have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, but yes, it, it is. I, I agree that uh, you know our success rate and our uh, safety profile is uh, is outstanding for 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 that procedure. It just works, as as we say. But again, a different podcast. Uh, and um, if, any other c- comments that that you want to make about? Uh, medications, because the the one thing that I'm taking away from this um, is how important it is to see somebody who really knows what they're talking about. Because you're you've got preventatives, you've got abortives, you've got the newest drugs, you've got d- all of these different um, side effects pro- profiles and all of these different dosage profiles, and it's a lot of information. Uh, you know, people ask me about medications all the time, and I defer to to headache specialists because that's not my world. And so, I really think it's important to make sure that patients are seeing people who are well versed in 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 the specialty of, of headache. Exactly. And now you can actually refer to this podcast because I think we discuss the classes, abortive, pre- this is very important. One thing that I want your audience to know, the difference between preventive and abortive treatment and not using abortive treatment more than uh, it's supposed to be, particularly over-the-counter medication. That will make the headache worse. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Ansari, um, again, thank you very, very much. I, I look forward to hopefully m- many more of, uh, of these podcasts. I think today we've identified several other um, areas that we, can, that we can talk about. Sure, sure, exactly. Thank you very um, much right. again, and hopefully this is helpful for your audience and uh, they can get some benefit and some educational uh, information about uh, the headache and migraine and treatment wise. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Thanks, everybody, uh, for uh, listening. And uh, we all look forward to uh, to, to hearing from uh, Dr. Ansari again. So uh, there you go. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Lowenstein once again, and I have two last things to ask of you. Firstly, the thing you can do for fellow headache sufferers is to please remember to subscribe and rate our podcast. The more ratings and subscriptions that we get, the more visibility that we'll get, and the more listeners will be able to find us, and the more help and information we'll be able to provide the huge population of people who suffer from headache pain. Secondly, please remember that the treatment of headaches of all types is very individualized. The purpose of this podcast is not to give medical advice, so please use the information here on this podcast and elsewhere that you hear on the internet to broaden your knowledge, but consult with your physician before acting on any information that you hear on podcasts or see on YouTube or read anywhere on the internet. I, as a physician, don't necessarily endorse the opinions or practices of my guests, and if you have particular questions that you'd like to consult with me directly about, please call our Headache Surgery Center. Our phone number is 805-969-9004, or you can email us at info at and my staff will set up a consultation and we can discuss your specific case over the phone or in person. Our website is filled with information as well, and that is headachesurgery.com. 
Thanks and best wishes from all of us here at the Headache 360 Podcast.